Welcome to Two Paley's on a Pod. I'm Bria Paley. Hello, and I'm Michael Paley, and we're coming today from Queens, New York, Bria's apartment. Thanks for being here. Well, it's been another piece of journey for us, but tonight I kind of want to do something slightly different. Um, and that is, I want to think about the Parsha. So the Parsha is the section of the Torah that we read each week. In Jewish tradition, every week you read another section of the five books of Moses, called what we call the Torah, and they have names and they concentrate on stories. This one is one of the most important one in the entire Torah, which is the revelation on Mount Sinai. So we, we, you might remember that we go out of Egypt right? And after the plagues against the Egyptians, it's a big miraculous moment of liberation. Um, and then we go into the desert, we immediately fight a war against the Amalekites. We can't find water, we can't, we get hungry and we start to complain. Why are we here? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Those kind of things. And then finally, about three months later, we end up at Mount Sinai, where we, in some way or another, um, hear the voice of God. Um, and that's called the Revelation on Mount Sinai. And so I, I thought we would think about you and me, but all, really you, um, in relationship to that moment. Right? There is a great story in the, in the Talmud, um, which is the compendium of rabbinic wisdom that was written from around the first pre-Christian century to the fifth post-Christian century. Um, and it's on Shabbat 88. That's the name of the tractate and also the page. And it goes like this. It says, when the children of Israel were, were at the mountain, that they were tachatahar, usually translated as in the foothills of the mountain, but really it means tachat, under, hahar, under the mountain. So the rabbis want to say, why under the mountain? I mean, and it says that God held the mountain up like a tub over their heads and said, do you want to receive the Torah? Well, you know, under those circumstances, you would say yes, because otherwise God would drop the mountain on you and you wouldn't like that, right? And it says in the Talmud, e taruta, e metuta, either Torah or death. And so at the moment of the revelation of the Torah, some people imagine it as a beautiful song and you know and 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 a and a lovely melody but other people the rabbis in particular rabbi yirmiya understands it as almost a violation of the people with the torah and i i want to think about that with you a little bit based on what's happened to you in the last month you know where you've had a very rough time you know you've the last time we talked about uh, your psych ward pajamas and now you're living in your apartment in Queens and but you're lonely and you've you've discovered a lot of things about yourself that you never discovered before. So I want to quote from this book by Mark Borowitz on this Parsha, which is called the Parsha is called Yitro section. And, and he says a very profound thing, I think. He says, he says, I understand this Parsha, this Revelation on Sinai, to show us the specific moment of surrender by the Israelite people. Paraphrasing from the teaching of the great rabbi, Rabbi Yosef B. Soloveitchik, Zichrono Livracha, surrender occurs when humans allow themselves to be confronted and defeated by a higher and truer being, 
and or a higher truth. It's a very amazing idea, right? Uh, again, again, Rabbi Soloveitchik writes: surrendering a, surrender occurs when humans allow themselves to be a, to be confronted and defeated by a higher and truer being, and or a higher truth. All of the Ten Commandments are higher truths, and we have to allow ourselves to be defeated by them rather than continue to find the loopholes for us to fight against God and these higher truths. What do you, what do you think about that in the light of your current journey? Um, yeah, I think that is where I'm at, is that I can't find any more loopholes, and I have to surrender to God. And, and I don't really know how to do that. I mean, I've been in 12-step recovery long enough that I have some idea, but it feels really difficult. We're not really a surrendering people. You know, I think I've said on this podcast before that the word Islam, it means to surrender. Muslims, they, they surrender. They bow down and they just surrender to God. But Israel, Yisrael, means the one who struggles with God, like Jacob who struggled with the angel that night or the being that night um, at the Yavok River. And, um, and, and, the, and the being said to him, you have wrestled beings, God, human and divine, and you prevailed. You're a real wrestler, it seems. You have a trouble surrendering. And I just kind of, I really want to hear about that for a second, because this this is God holding the Torah, the mountain over your head saying, you take the Torah. I can only imagine you saying, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. It feels like resistance, like like fighting every which way because I keep getting pushed back to New York, even though I tried to leave quite a few times and it feels like nothing's going right at all <laughs> in my life. And I'm like, my relationships are suffering and I don't have confidence in, in working. Um, when I, when I was getting fired from Esalen, my, my manager said that Esalen was a hall of mirrors. What does that mean? Well, I've thought about that. Like, what does that mean? And I think it means that it shows you who you are everywhere you go. There's mm -hmm. mirrors. Like, you can't avoid yourself. And I've been, I've been trying to avoid myself. I've been running away from myself to every, everything and anything I thought could help. I think it's why I'm so afraid to be alone because I'll have to keep facing myself. Mm -hmm. And that's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. I'd rather, uh, you know, get lost in so somebody else, but it's not working. It's not working. I mean, you, you know, I always thought you, you could fix everything for me, but you can't fix this. And if even I, me. even you, and if I try to invite a friend over to keep me company, it's like nice for a little while, but they can't, they can't make the pain go away. And, and I'm getting a little tired of telling everyone how much I'm struggling every time they ask me how I'm doing. Yeah, I can imagine that would be, you'd want to have at least one good day so you could say, oh, this has been a great day. Yeah, I mean, yesterday was okay because I got a massage and I went to this like Russian Turkish sauna with some friends and it was, it was okay. It was a little crowded. It felt a bit like a, like a club. There was like a model being massaged by someone probably like three times her age. And, um, 
it was a little icky, but, <laughs> but, you know, but like Esalen was also a little icky in that way. I felt, you know, like, I don't know, just like the, the way that everyone kind of sees each other naked all the time. And like, hmm. which, you know, it's, but in a hall of mirrors, that makes some sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even like, you know, I don't have a problem with nudity. I've done mass naked photo shoots with Spencer tunic, but I, I think I, I did have kind of a problem with it while I was there. Like it just didn't, even though you can wear a bathing suit, mostly no one does. And it felt a little like, like a little incestuous almost like every, everyone's just kind of very intimate with each yeah. other. Yeah. And that was hard for you this time. Yeah, it felt hard because I don't know. I think I'm so, um, well, I never really think I belong kind of anywhere, you know, that's part of it. But also I think that I, um, maybe I didn't really want people to, to see me for who I, who I believe I am. It's a real change in you. I have to admit that. Um, I think you're under under the mountain. I think God is holding the mountain right over your head. And that produces a kind of different set of insights. I, I, in me also, you know, I have to say my life is generally good and I feel happy and proud. But, but you know, I feel that pressure. I feel, and I feel the need to surrender. I, I have learned how to surrender in my life. You know, in in that way, really to the practice, to the ritual, to God. You know, and I, I haven't been able to always teach that to people, but I have, in some ways, been able to do it, to give up stuff. I, I have not. I I don't. I guess I'm I'm scared. I'm scared of what that means to surrender. Like, does that mean things will just get worse? Well, I, I think it, they, it doesn't mean that. You know, on uh, Yom Kippur, I had one time I was on, in Yom Kippur, um, uh, and my friend Jonathan Jacoby was standing next to me in shul. And uh, I get dressed up on Yom Kippur. I wear my white death shroud, you know. It's, it's called a kittel. Sometimes it's a love coat, but it's also a death shroud. Nothing like wearing your death shroud to make you surrender. You know it's coming. You wear a talus even at night, you know, because you're wrapped up in some sense of your own your own um, self intimacy. Um, and I just I kept on saying all the prayers of of you know the, what are called the Ashamnu and even the the which is I am guilty and and the other ones which is uh, these are the sins that we have done, not I have done, but we have done. They didn't feel like it. Really. So so I said to Jonathan, who's staying next to me, let's do a walking meditation. So we'd say one of the prayers, and we'd take a step, and we'd say another prayer, and we would take a step. We'd say another, you know, a, a, not just a prayer, but a, an admission of things we did. And the walking was kind of like tick not han, you know. We, we, we would, we would take a step, and by the end, I felt I had really had surrendered. It was kind of a remarkable transformation. But I, I had a ritual. You try and do this solo without any ritual. Yeah, I I thought that I had some rituals, and I remember throwing the bread for Toshleaf yeah. into the Danube. But that's the really most fun one. Yeah, I I think I I just I always look for shortcuts. That's just that's just what I 
what I've always done. I've looked for shortcuts and loopholes. Even driving across the country, I was like, I can do that, you know, no yeah. big deal. Was a big deal. Yeah, it was too big a deal for me. I just couldn't, huh, even thinking about it, um, so much driving and so much time alone and so much time with my, my thinking, which was just nonstop, like beating me up. That's what it was like. You know, the first of the Ten Commandments, which we hear about in this, or the Ten, the ten Sayings that we hear, hear about in this Parsha, is I'm the Lord your God, you know, took you out of the land of Egypt, you shall have no other gods before me. It's, it's pretty interesting. How, what do you think about that phrase? What does it mean to you? I'm the God, I'm the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. I was just in Egypt, so I think about the pressed society. You know, 95% of Egyptians live on 4% of the land around the Nile. So everybody's like, it's a very big country, but it's completely empty. But everybody's pressed into each other. It's an amazing civilization, but also a cramped civilization in that way. What, what, is it, what, is it, what do you think God wants when he says, I'm the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt? For us to feel gratitude. Uh, do you feel it? Not, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> no gratitude. Well, I've been trying to do gratitude practice where I like write a fellow in my program, like three things I'm grateful for. And today it was like the meeting I just went on and for the podcast with you. And um, I don't know, even remember the third thing I wrote. But um, huh, uh, it's it's been a while since I really felt gratitude because I just am so I'm in so much pain. That's all I can think about is how much pain I'm in and when it's going to stop. Maybe we'll stop if you have gratitude. Maybe, but you know, we were talking about how I said someone, someone said in, in one of my sessions in my therapy group or that the psychiatrist said that you can be in love with your anger. Yeah. That struck you. It did. And when you said it to me, it struck me. Hmm. I wrote it down. So I think you can also be in love with your, your pain. Well, what do you think about that? Uh, I think that, I think that's, that's what it's, I think I'm so used to this now and I'm so, I'm like used to being like a victim almost that I was thinking a, a title for my book would be victim or villain. <laughs> you know, like sometimes I feel like, like I'm getting away with things or, or I'm, you know, I'm, it's like a bit sinister. I can feel a bit sinister sometimes, like, like, like I'm not a good person because I don't wish the best for people or I don't want to give of myself. And then other times I'm, I'm like, oh, why is this happening to me? Like, this is so uncomfortable. How do I get out of this? And, you know, the, the feedback we're getting from the podcast is like how, how honest and vulnerable I am and, and how amazing our relationship is. And it, the, those are all true things, but this is not, it's not easy to say these things to whoever's going to listen to it. I mean, it's, you know, la last week I went to a Shabbat dinner and, and I, I was very revealing about what I'd gone through with people 
people I'd never met before, people I hadn't seen in a while or whatever it is. And, you know, they, it was interesting to see their reactions. You know, mm. sometimes it would be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, that's that's so hard. I've also been through a hard time. I understand. Um, and then sometimes I think they were just kind of uncomfortable, you know, like, okay, well, have a good yeah. night, <laughs> right. you know. Right. A good night far away from me. Yeah. And I just, I would kind of like be like, you know, I, I ran into uh, someone there who I'd gone to um, high school with and who was in my uh, choir growing up, the Young People's Chorus. And, and you know, it was nice to see her. Um, but then, you know, she like went off to talk to some some guy. And when I found her again, she was like, kind of like brushed, brushed me off a bit. And I was like, oh, that, does, that didn't feel so good. You know, I hadn't seen this woman in a long time. I yeah. thought we'd catch up at least for a few minutes. Maybe you unloaded too much pain. Yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe that people love when you unload pain. They they just really gravitate to that. But not but some people do, of course. I said that sarcastically, but some people do. Yeah, well, you know, I've got I've got my friends like like Todd who has been through a lot of his own pain and has the has the means to to help and you know will kind of do anything that that it takes for me to feel better. Yeah. You know, he has a deep, deep affection for you, no doubt about it. And then I have, you know, friends who are more like tough love, um, friends who give give advice, friends who just listen, friends who really just want to like talk about their own problems. Um, and then we've got this disaster happening in Turkey and and Syria. Yeah, we're like, how many people have died now? Like, oh, twenty one thousand, I think, by now. Terrible. And that's hard to even like imagine, you know, like it is. how, like I've been thinking about it and I'm like, how do I even think about like every once in a while, like a big world disaster will happen. And, but it's like not big enough to like take me out of my own problems. Yeah. Why is that? That's the, it's, it's interesting. I just want to go back to the partial for a second. You know, um, when we come out of Egypt, um, uh, this is last week's Parsha. Um, uh, we get to the sea, and um, and of course the people freak out. You know, they they feel that the Egyptians are traveling and tr catching them, catching up with them, and and will either re-enslave them or kill them. And they go to Moses and they say, "How come you did this? We told you, don't take us out of Egypt. We, you know, we we loved Egypt." Moses must have looked at them and said, "You were slaves in Egypt." They said, "Yeah, all right, we had pain." We were slaves, but we we really miss it. And they never stop doing that. They constantly say, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to slavery. We want to go back. We knew that life. We don't want to be liberated into the desert. And I kind of feel that's you in some way. You are kind of longing for the enslavement of things. And, and it means that you can't break loose. In this week's Prussia, it says that when we came out of Egypt, we went al Sharim. We went to the wings of eagles. So we didn't, right? We we went through the Red Sea. We we suffered. We we all the all the things that happened to the Israelites is what is was difficult. But but in some ways, in in preparation for the commandments, which are traumatic in themselves, we'll talk about that in a minute. 
um, uh, it must be that God said, I'll just, I'll take, the, I'll tell them that I took them out on eagle's wings. They just flew over. They got right here. It was easy trip. But of course it isn't an easy trip. It's a, it's a hard trip. Yeah. And just like being, um, being, being in this addiction, you know, um, it's just so confusing. Like, uh, I've been looking at this, this program in, in Los Angeles called Beit Shuva, mm -hmm. and it's a, um, it's a Jewish rehab, you know, you get a spiritual counselor and an addiction and a therapist and, um, addiction counselor and a therapist. And, um, that just sounds so helpful to me because I'd be in like a safe container with like other people struggling. Mm. But the biggest problem seems to be that I'm not addicted to, to substances. <laughs> it's true. You're not. It's like so confusing. It's like when you say you're an addict, people just automatically assume it's, it's to alcohol or drugs. And I've come up against this a, a couple times now because I, I think I do need a rehab. Um, that's how I feel. I, I kind of feel like this is the moment of surrender. You know, one of the, 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 one of the commandments is you shall not murder. You know, it's quite, couldn't be clearer, right? You're just not supposed to go out and murder someone on the street or someone else. But I guess the real issue is that you're not supposed to also murder yourself. And I kind of feel that you've been, been dealing with that. You know, you, you've been attacking yourself for, a long time and it and it does cut you off from God. I think it I think it cuts you off from what Mark Borovitz calls either the higher truth or the higher power boat, which I call the Abishta, you know, the the Rabbanisham, the master of the world. And it's hard to submit, but that's that's a good start to do that. What would it take for you to stop murdering yourself, to submit? I know it's a hard question, you might not know the answer. What would it take? What would it take? Um, what do you have to let go of? Well, I I hope I'm ready now. I hope I'm I hope I'm ready to do it because I don't want to. Uh, I'd have to let go of more more ego, more maybe more possessions. Maybe I'd have to lose my lose my house or my health or. Oh, I couldn't bear it. All right, so then I give you new possessions and a new house. That's kind of father I am. Not not helpful, but I would I would want to. Well, you are a codependent. I am. I am codependent with you. I often call it love, but I know what you mean. It's very painful for me as a parent to go through this. I need a lot of support. I get a lot of support from my friends, but it's very, very painful. And I guess one of the things that's painful is that I do see that you um, love having your anger. You love having your your difficult journey. It kind of makes you must make you feel unique. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I don't understand it. Is has, is it? Elsewhere in the family, what about what about your siblings? Have, did how did you did you all have to surrender to God? Did you all have to figure this out? I don't know if anybody else had the same language that I had. We we grew up in the in with my father, um, with his tremendous gratitude. 
your grandfather always had tremendous gratitude for his life. He, he had tremendous gratitude that his father had left Europe and come to America, you know, as a teenager and always spoke with an accent, but was able to keep the twinkle in his eye. He was grateful that he grew up in a prosperous family so that he got what he wanted. He was grateful that he had, you know, a family to be part of. Yeah, he was, grandpa was grateful and I think that, and good natured. And so I think that really rubbed off on us um, in some way. And I guess I think that, that your grandmother did have a lot of anger, but she learned how to let go of it at a certain point. And I think that helped her. It was a hard struggle for it, and but I think she did do it. You know, I don't. I don't know about my older sister, but I think both Uncle Richie and and Auntie Mimi. You know, they've they have a lot of gratitude. I would say I'm one of the people that did, in the family that does a practice. I have a spiritual practice. You know, I I daven every day, and I keep kosher, and I keep Shabbos, and I do all those things. Um, a little less as I get older, but I I would say, I, I think I said it to you earlier, and I strongly believe it, this is Heschel, I, I, I feel like I have a lot of awe for the world, and I have a lot of awe for God. Not fear, even though the word can be the same, right? You know, Nora can be fear, but it can also mean awe, and I, and I feel I have a certain amount of awe, I think, Grandpa always loved the world. He just couldn't get enough of it. You know, he he loved, he was such a sensuous person. Not, yeah, sensuous in the sense that he just loved every everything coming in. And um, and so I have awe. But the other thing that I learned, I think, a lot about was um, uh, was the submitting to. To the rules of God, you know, I'm not a person that's very good at submitting, but I did try and do that, and I think that sustained me in a in a in a consistent practice. I don't know why I never could teach it to you. I, you know, your brother Gabe is very disciplined. Nam is less disciplined, but still follows the rules and thinks about those things, but you don't. No. Yeah. You always have tried to write your own rules. And in some way, the 10th commandment is always the most surprising to me. You shouldn't covet. It's an emotional state. It's really the, I was going to get to it at some point, and this is a good time. It's the, it's the commandment that's designed for you. Do not covet. Don't try and be envious of somebody else. You know, that's because don't try and live their life. Try and make yours the best possible life. But at some point, I just started assuming that it just wouldn't be. Why? Why is that? You, I even sit in your house right now. You, you have a lot of privilege. You have a lot of things going for you. You have a beautiful singing voice, and you have a fine mind. Yeah, but there's just been so many setbacks, and I just feel like, what's it gonna feel like to to succeed? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it would feel like to have like true love or. A home that I bought myself, or you know, I mean, I I used to feel it when my name was in the newspaper. You know, like when I would write an article, my name would be in the paper, and um, you know, I was proud of my blog for a while and my sewing, and 
even being an extra, even though like I wanted to be like the star, you know, yes, I like know. I, I thought by being an extra, I would get like plucked out of, you know, the hundreds <laughs> obscurity, of yeah. obscurity. And I would, you know, they'd be like, oh, you're, we've been looking for you. Like that's sort of how I feel like my, my life is supposed to go where someone will just like save me, rescue me, which pro probably is a message that I learned from you. Hmm. Sorry. I thought it was, I had a pretty good track record of saving you from many situations, but I can't do this one. No, and this is this is the one that hurts the most. Yeah. You know. Um. You know, Viva Zornberg wrote in in her book on the Book of Exodus that that um, revelation is uh, trauma. You know. It's not just that God holds the mountain over our heads. It's that we have to surrender to the word coming down. And that sense of trauma is something that you know a lot about, you know? And in some funny way, this is really, this is really for me, the, the when I read the Parsha preparing for this conversation with you, this is what, this is what came so clear to me is that, Right now, right now, maybe even in this podcast, I feel that you have a lot of clarity. I feel that you are realizing things that you never realized before. I feel in some ways that you are at the beginning, and I'm hoping maybe, maybe even praying, but I feel like it's true that you are at the beginning of some change. I mean, when you listen to some of our podcasts, particularly the last number of them when you were in pain, I mean, you I listened to some of them twice, and even though I was in tears, I actually broke into tears a few times listening to you. Maybe other people have listened to this podcast did also. It was riveting. And yet, you were honest and clear and forthright and, and in a way that I haven't experienced you before. So in some ways, the traumas that you're going through are also cracking you open with insights that you've not always had, I think. I agree with that, but is it enough? Is it enough? I don't know. I don't know if it's enough. I hope so. But I feel like it's not even up to me. It's up to God. And I was really mad at God a few days ago. I was like, you know, I've been trying to do more prayer where I write out things, but I don't even know how to ask God for help sometimes. Like, what do I say? Like, God, I'm in so much pain, please help me. Or God, should I, you know, stay in New York or try to go to California? Or should I, you know, stick with this therapy program that I don't think is really helping? Or like, how, how do I turn things around? Because I, every time I meet people, they tell me like, it's going to be okay. And that, and they can, they're so sure of that, of it. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel sure of it. But I'm like, how do you know? Like, how can you, how can you be sure? I don't, I'm not sure. And, and I look at my apartment, I just, I just see like chaos and, and mess. And, and I, I never would have treated my apartment like this before. I don't think. And, and it's like, it's holding me back from some dream of warmer weather and palm trees and, and even Esalen, you know, like became became my Egypt. And I wasn't a slave, you know, I was getting paid for a job that I didn't want to do, um, which is just keeps happening to me. 
So interesting that there was an article about Esalen in the, not Esalen, but Big Sur in the newspaper, which was basically that the landslides on either side of Big Sur had both cut off the roads and was continually narrowing the space that people could maneuver in. In fact, people would drive to the breaks in the road and they would walk up the mountain and then down the mountain and then they would get another car to keep, to take them out. They And there was no food for some people and medicine and like that. So in some ways, Esalen, it just felt the image to me. And they only put one line about Esalen in the article. It was really about Big Sur. But Big Sur, at least, which is supposed to be this beautiful place. You've been there, so it must be stunning. And yet it was Egypt. Narrower and narrower. Tighter and tighter. Less and less access to other things, you know? I don't know. I I, I, I just, I, I still feel that this is the moment that the that the caterpillar turns into the butterfly for you. I'm, it's just, it's traumatic, right? I once learned from my friend, Rabbi Sharon Browse, that um, that a caterpillar has to turn to goo before they become a butterfly. And that's, a, that's true. And I, I kind of feel the goo in you right now, but yeah. I also feel the butterfly. Well, this, and this all happened during my ayahuasca ceremony as well. I could, I could feel it like I was in this, really dark dark place it was like horrific really say something more about it it just felt so first let's say what ayahuasca is so ayahuasca is a sacred plant medicine that um that's become more widely known lately among westerners as like a, a healing tool you know you you drink this um brew usually tastes pretty bad pretty bitter and um, within it contains DMT, which um, I can never remember what it stands for. Diomento something, yeah. <laughs> something. Um, <laughs> and it's and it's like a psychedelic, and you start seeing like patterns, and um, sometimes visions. Sometimes you have a surgery done on you by a bird or an alien or whatever it is. Did you have that? No, that did not happen to me. Sometimes nothing happens to you and you just go to sleep and wake up like nothing even happened, which which can feel disappointing to people because maybe they missed out on the fun parts, but the bird surgery. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know But you did have visions. I didn't have real visions so much. I had the the geometric patterns. Mm. And also people's faces looked blurry and like, like I was in like a weird movie almost. Like I would walk around a lot. Sometimes I was bored. You know, sometimes I, I would walk around and feel like I was the only person there. Hmm. Like everyone was passed out or shaking or vomiting or something. And I was like, where's where's the party? Where's yeah. hmm. And I think that's that's kind of what my life has been like. Like I'm always just like, Where's the party? Where's like, where are the cool kids? And when I got to Esalen, I felt like everyone was a cool kid. And I just, I like, I guess I forced myself to believe I didn't belong. Hmm. Hmm. Even though you did all the stuff, ayahuasca, ketamine, and then Esalen, you're a cool kid. Well, that's not all it takes really. I mean, the people there were, were really quite amazing, you know, with their, their art or their, um, you know, they weren't, they weren't just dishwashers and bed makers. They were like real, real creatives or, you know, had, had just fascinating lives. And I just could not see myself as 
as that person, even though I know that I am like in my soul, but it's like they had worked harder for it or something. And mm. I, I just didn't think I measured up because I, I don't know, I was too tired or lazy or, you know, um, didn't believe in myself, you know, when like I did, I, I did the open mic. Um, I sang a song, but I think I was constantly comparing myself. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm not good enough. I don't really deserve to be here. Um, and then, and then it came true. It's, it's like, I do believe in, in manifestation. Like I found my purple car and, you know, even this apartment, like all those things I believe happened because I, I put them out there, um, that I wanted them. But now it's like, I've been putting out like negative things and all their, all of them are coming true. Yeah, you're getting those, right? Yeah. Like I was like, like Jumanji, that movie Jumanji. Yeah. No matter what you wish for, you get even bad things. Right. Like, like what happened with the woman who stayed in this apartment. It's like, I was like, this is going to be bad. I, I can feel it. I can feel it's going to be bad. I'm going to make the wrong choice. Yeah, you maybe made a bit. Yeah. Or, you know, giving away a lot of my clothes, like instead of it feeling good, it, it haunted me and continues to haunt me. Mm -hmm. um, and now I'm like, I don't have enough clothes, which is ridiculous, but it doesn't matter because in my head, I, that's what I think. Yeah. I just do wonder how you could move away from that and, in some way, you know, um, uh, the Parsha, I'm just going to talk about the Parsha because I'm a rabbi and I need to do that. Um, it's called Yitro. Yitro is the father-in-law of Moses. Um, so when Moses escapes from Egypt, because they know that he murdered the Egyptian taskmaster, even for good reasons, but anyways, still he, he, he protected the Israelite and killed the Egyptian. So he, once he thought that everybody knew it and he would be punished for it, killed for it. He runs, and he runs to the to the tribe of Midian, and he meets this beautiful woman. I think she's beautiful, and at the well, and and her father's name is Yitro, um, uh, and he's the high priest of the Midianites. And I think I think he really it feels to me in the Bible that he really likes being the high priest. You know, he's like his seven daughters, like he has, he's like, he's a high priest type. You know, having a good time. Then all of a sudden. His son-in-law, Moses, goes back to Egypt and he liberates 600,000 people, or maybe 1.2 million people, which is quite a good feat. So now all of a sudden, Yitro says, whoa, I'm a nothing, <laughs> you know? Most, this is Moses, my son-in-law? I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see it, you know? And and he didn't go to Egypt to find, to watch it, and he wasn't even maybe at Sinai. The rabbis, even though the his section comes first, the rabbis say that he only came after Mount Sinai, but even so, all of a sudden, he goes from being the priest to being, to being the, the surrenderer to Moses. He says, "Moses, you. I now have to pay attention to you. I, I'm going to lose my priesthood. I'm going to, I'm going to look at your God and I'm going to worship your God. I'm going to lose everything that I did. And in doing that, of course, he comes closer to Torah. So, in my understanding, he gains. But to gain, he first has to lose. You know." And I think it's, again, it's traumatic for him. I think all the things that you lost, your clothes that you gave away, your apartment that you used to love so much but now haunts you, your, your Esalen or, and your car is in, is in California, you've, you've all of a sudden started to strip down. And I wanted to liberate you, and I believe it will, but right now you're so concentrated on what you lost. 
you know, Yitro at some point makes a flip. I'm, I feel trauma that I can't be the big priest anymore. It turns out I'm a little guy, but I'm, I'm celebrating that I'm part of this people with my daughter and my grandchildren and my son-in-law, you know? Hmm. All right. Well, I'm, I'm praying that, that I can make the switch. Could you give this stuff up? Could you, could you give up even some of your anger and say, I'm in love with love instead of love with anger? I can try. I, I mean, I don't, I don't have a lot of other ideas. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was doing this meditation for months called heartfulness, where you focus on your heart and the light that's in your heart. And, um, you know, then I stopped doing it because the timing didn't work on the West Coast so much. And I even visited this meditation teacher on my road trip. And he's followed by, like, people all over the world. I mean... You know, he has these these huge uh, Zoom Zoom meetings every morning at eight a.m. and and I don't know. I it just never clicked for me. You know, like people say, once they get really into meditation, they like can't live without it. You know, yeah. like mom mom does it. Right? Yes, she does it every morning, no question about it. But it can't live without it. I think it didn't. That didn't happen to me, so I think I was disappointed. I wonder if it was it was just about to happen, but you didn't do the next one. Yeah, probably. Probably like going to the silent meditation retreat for 10 days. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll leave like a different person. But I left like an angrier person. Yeah, you spent the entire time being angry, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even in the car driving across country. There was a lot of time to be angry. Maybe you were angry then also. Yeah, I think I've been holding on to all of this for so long that now it's like a part of me. And I like I'm like how do I how do I give this up if it's a part of me? My Mondi says that there are different parts of your brain, the madame, your imagination, the mitorere, your arousal self, the seichel, your intellectual self, and anger. And the anger is walled off by membranes. That's how he understands it. True, it's not true, but 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 anyways, he thinks about it that way. And he says, once the membrane is broken, anger goes into the rest of your body. It's very hard to get it all out. And I really want you to get it out. That's the most important thing. Well. I, I, I do have one more image for you. I know I talked a lot on this one, but. But, and I, and I hold you in my heart so much. Um, you know, I. I, I read the 12 step stuff that you do and, and, and the connection to the higher power. And when you get angry in the world and the world is not treating you well, and it's not treating you well right now, that's for sure. Um, uh, you just kind of doubt the higher powers existence altogether. But what I feel, this is kind of Heschel. Heschel wrote a, Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote a, was a great rabbi in the 20th century wrote a book called God in Search of Man. In some ways, I feel that God is in search of you. And God is constantly looking and saying, Bria, Bria, where are you? I can't see you. And you are creating this kind of camouflage, this kind of screen in which you're beneath. And and God keeps on saying, come on, I, I love you. I'm, I'm trying to send my love to you. And, and, I, and I just can't see you. And your job, in some ways, is to... Uh, through gratitude, through recovery, through through love, through 
through achievement, through through relationships, all the all the things that you want to dispel the cloud around you, so that 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 the it can shine down upon you again. It's hard to do that. It's very hard to do that. And this, you know, you said before about the the Turkish earthquake. You know, and it's hard to see the presence of God when so many people have suffered. Um, but I still see the presence of God, even in that, you know, even, you know, we don't have earthquakes and, and volcanoes in the world and the world explodes because it's, it's like that. And so in some ways it's our job to not build our houses on fault lines and to protect our children. And, and it's your job to dispel the, this, all the, the, the barriers between you and God. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Here's what yeah. I can tell you. I'm sticking by you. Thanks. For the rest of my life, I'm going to be right, right here sitting next to you and thinking about you and holding you and, 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 and loving you and, and, and hoping for you and praying for you. So now I think that what we have to do is learn how to pray together. That would be a that would be a good thing to do. Should we do it on the podcast or just in general? Next time we're going to do a little prayer on the podcast. We had First, a prayer episode. I know, but we didn't pray. Yeah, you're right. Now we're going to pray. You think other rabbis' kids are are good at this stuff, or is it like being like a therapist kid and you like <laughs> you need more help? <laughs> Um, well, you know, I was really worked at a university and I worked at uh, UJA and like that. So you didn't get the full flavor of being owned by a congregation. But yeah, I'm sure my being a rabbi screwed you up good and proper. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I didn't. I always thought I could be could skirt it, but here it is. Well, you know, I've been like been on the Upper West Side lately and just like thinking about, you know, when the last time I felt like I was home was, it's just been a while. Yeah. I know we did a whole episode, remember, on home. And I did. I, I, I stopped feeling at home there, and so I moved. Found a new home. Well, I was going to also ask for whoever's listening to the podcast, um, my dad and I are both like pretty new at this. Like we don't really, you know, I use, a, I use a pretty basic software, but I don't really know a lot about podcasting. And if, if you are someone who knows and wants to help or advise, um, that would be appreciated because I really love doing this and I want it to continue, but feel a little stuck in, um, and growing it and spreading the word. So if you also would want to share the episode with someone you think will get something out of it, maybe someone who's also struggling, um, I'd love that. So thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.